You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 46. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Hi guys, welcome to The Lively Show, Thursday edition. I'm so excited today to share with you someone who you may know or someone you may not know, depending on your connection to the scrapbooking world. Allie Edwards is a pioneer in the scrapbooking world. She's written books and has lines of scrapbooking products, helping people shift the way that they scrapbook. You can find out more on AllieEdwards.com. That's Allie, A-L-I, Edwards.com. But this show is about much more than just scrapbooking. I'm so excited to introduce you to her if you're not familiar already. In this show, we're going to talk to Allie about how she has shifted the focus of traditional scrapbooking from events like birthdays and product-driven kind of stickers and paper goods to what she calls intentional scrapbooking, which is much more words and value-driven and is a lot more along the lines of life with intention in this process. We're also going to talk about how having a child with autism has taught Allie about herself and how it has actually prepared her for other aspects of her life and difficult challenges that came later. She'll talk about how she handles the immediate black and white reactions her ego has to different situations and how she is learning to embrace the gray and the imperfections of life. We'll talk about her favorite books and we'll talk about the mantra that came to Allie early in her divorce that helped her move through it without stuffing and with a lot of grace. This episode is really incredible, guys. If you are someone who thinks in a kind of black and white way or you know someone that does, this show is gonna resonate on a lot of levels and bring up a lot of great thinking points to take with you in your conversations with people in the future. Let's go to the show. Thank you, Allie, so, so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Let's start with your background. How did you get to where you are now? So I have a crazy job where I work, essentially work in the scrapbooking industry. And it's one of those things where like when you get on the airplane, you're flying somewhere, I'm going to an event or a conference or something. And, you know, you have that airplane conversation and the person asks you what you do (laughs) for a living. And you have no idea what to say. Do you give nothing or do you give like a five minute spiel? <laughs> you, you know, it it varies because and usually most of the time now I just say, you know, I work in the scrapbooking industry and, they'll, and they're always like, what? And I have to repeat it. And then I say, you know, scrapbooking, like pictures and words and craft stuff. It is the simplest answer, but it's also the most simplistic answer. For me, my background, I went to Oregon State University and I have a degree in American history and literature and political science. And at that point in my life, which was, you know, straight, I had the traditional straight out of high school, went to college sort of thing, anticipated that I was going to be an attorney. That was kind of where I ended my university experience and then decided that I didn't want to continue on in school and moved with my boyfriend to uh, Eugene, Oregon, which is where I live now wanted to get married and do that kind of stuff and ended up getting, you know, just a regular sales type of job at a cell phone place, actually. It's one of those transformative experiences where you become physically ill because you're not in the right place, which was great because I needed to have that to have the experience of going, oh my God, I need something else. You know, I need something more creative, which was, was kind of the realization for me. And I ended up going back to school and got a graphic design degree at a community college, which also had the experience of where I sat down that first day in that 
class and knew that I was in the right spot. I was supposed to be there for one reason or another. And I've always been someone that's very visually organized and interested in visual things, but never considered that as anything that would relate to a profession. So fast forward a couple years, get married and have a kid. And when my son Simon was about 11 months old, decided I wanted to make a baby book. And I wasn't working at that time that wasn't really part of, of the plan either. The graphic design degree could be something that I could do at any time. And then my husband was providing, you know, being the provider in our family. So I decided I want to make a baby book and went to a craft store and started looking online at scrapbooks because I couldn't find any baby books that were more my style, which would be more modern, you know, less cutesy kind of thing. And ended up at a site that's not doesn't exist anymore, but was very popular for a long time called Two Peas in a Bucket. That was a scrapbooking website. And it's there that I really first saw the potential of modern scrapbooking, which to me is more words focused. It's more enlarged photographs. It's kind of the, the emphasis of those two with some products added in, which I like to call like intentional memory keeping products. So products that aren't taking over the story and the photo, but that are adding to it rather than detracting from it. These days I blog and I've had a blog since 2004 and I've been sharing my story on there all along. Um, I design scrapbooking products or products for people that are interested in memory keeping, teach online workshops, also in person, been all over the world teaching scrapbooking workshops, which is very crazy, but awesome because it's really uh, facilitated and like and fueled a love of travel for me and, and being able to go different places and experience different things. So yeah, it's a, you know, you never know <laughs> where you're going to end up. So how has your life personally progressed since that start of the scrapbooking? So it was, yeah, so it was having, wanting to make a baby book and wanting to do something with all of the things that I was collecting for him. Like I dove in head first then to scrapbooking and my career, an actual career began not very long after that, where I was submitting to magazines and then starting to work for magazines. And then I was writing books about scrapbooking and starting a blog and then having products and it just kind of snowballed from there. But in my personal life, there were definitely some challenges that happened early on. So Simon, my son, who's going to be 13 in January, he was diagnosed with autism at age two and a half. So early, and that was at a time, it wasn't then like it is now, where there's a lot more awareness. People talk a lot more about it. Um, it was kind of right at that beginning point in time. And his diagnosis and kind of coming to terms with that. And I don't, I'm trying to think of what the right word is like addressing it, you know, at least at the very face of it, addressing that and dealing with some of the grief that surrounds that as well was very powerful in my interest in everyday storytelling, I think, and really celebrating the things that are good, even when they are really hard, you know, or embracing imperfections and a lot of the kind of mantras that I've kept along with me on this whole journey. I think a lot of those kind of began during that time, that experience with him. And I mean, he's like the most amazing, the coolest, sparkly eyed kid, you know, that's always going to be different. That's always going to be quirky. That's always going to have some issues. But I think having him as a part of my life has made me a significantly better person than I would have been. How so? Uh, I think that I am more compassionate. Having the experience of combination of caretaking as well as just, you know, having this person in your life who 
is different than everybody else. And this could be, I, I think that it's kind of universal for anybody that has somebody that's different, you know, whether it's uh, whatever's outside the norm, you know, for him, it happens to be an actual disability. It informs so much of like, of who I am and the things that I pay attention to and the things that matter. Like, I feel like before my outlook on life before, not that I wasn't a good person before, not that I wasn't a thinking person or a reflective person, but having the experience of going through that with him really kind of clarified, I think, in a lot of ways, what was important and what wasn't important. Family is really important. Not that I didn't know that before, but it, it became more clear. It was like getting new glasses. A paradigm shift. Yeah, a paradigm shift, definitely. And I think that, that growing into that, I think it's still, you know, it's a process all the time of this idea of embracing imperfection and that things don't have to be perfect. And my own journey has evolved, um, obviously, since then. But I think that that was definitely a starting point for myself. And he continues to teach me things all along, just as I think any kid teaches their parent if the parent is willing to be taught the lesson. I love that. Can you imagine, put yourself in the same shoes, but without having that disability to have taught you to be a better person, what do you think would stress you out more now than it does because you have this paradigm shift? I think that for me, I am still very black and white. And that is one of the biggest things that I would say that I have been working on more so even over the last five years, um, I ended up getting a divorce. And so that's a piece of my story as well. And I think that all along, the idea of things being black and white, that there are definitive right and wrongs and, oh my God, that is right. And, oh my God, that is wrong. Like, I feel like that that is kind of a part of my makeup. And so one of the things that I've been working on, and I think it relates to Simon as well, is just being open to those gray areas and being open to learning and growing and accepting that things aren't always going to be how you think they're going to be and that that's okay and that there are other ways of approaching things rather than whatever my initial gut reaction, black and white, it must be this way. Like, And I'm to a point now where I, I know when I'm doing that, like I can feel it. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that's a total. Where do you feel it? I feel it like all over in my body. It's like, it's been just a personal awareness for me to be able to say like, okay, this new situation is happening and boom, that's my initial reaction. Like it, it comes fast and hard. I think for me, I usually figure out some way to let it out in one way or another. And and sometimes that can be like saying something to my friends and then laughing about it. Like, oh my God, that was my initial reaction. You know, <laughs> there it was, black and white, blah, blah, blah. You know, here I go. And it's not in a, I feel guilty about it or I'm a bad person because I do that. It's more of just like, okay, I did that again. I don't really want to do that. What's a different way that I can approach this? And I think being able to have some friends that I can talk to about that sort of thing helps then when I actually need to deal with whatever the, the bigger issue is at hand and be like, okay, you know what? This would have been my initial reaction, but after I gave myself five minutes or you know two days or a week or a year, whatever it was, then I'm able to come back, I think, with a more seasoned response. Yeah, that's really smart. I have a class and I work with my students to recognize the ego because that's probably that part of you that has that black and white thinking, the all or nothing, the separation, right? Oh, very much. Control. Yeah, exactly. And it's not about beating that part of us up. Like no. you said, you're not sitting there berating yourself for having it. You're recognizing it. And then you're doing what Gandhi talks about, which is nonviolent non-cooperation. You're not hating it, but you're also not following its advice. <laughs> and I would like to get to the point where that isn't my initial reaction. And I think that that's just a process of recognizing and making different choices the next time. 
Okay, so you mentioned a little bit about this divorce, and I've pulled a quote from your site I'd love to share, if that's okay with you. Go for it. Getting divorced in 2012 had a profound impact on me. I'm still trying to figure out ways to tell the pieces of that story that I want to tell. The mantra I, I relied on during that intensely challenging time in my life was this, live the length and the width. For me, it meant not stuffing my emotions and remaining open to the awesome possibilities held in the next chapter of my life. I'm into a new chapter now, but still figuring out how to write that one. Can you tell us a little bit about that passage and what that really means to you? Yeah. So the divorce for me was was not my choice. Obviously, two people are involved in every situation, but it, it was not it wasn't initiated by me all along what I found. And, and I think what throughout my life had been leading me up to this point to be able to figure out how to deal with this was, you know, that we get to choose what our response is when situations are presented to us. I feel like I was super clear, you know, even in the middle of this really horrible grief and terrible situation, but that I was clear how I wanted to move through it. And for me, that length and width quote, which is by a woman named Diane Ackerman, it kind of encapsulated that. For me, what it meant was that I didn't want to get to the end without fully experiencing these deep, deep pains, as well as fully experiencing the amazing joy potential. And that helped me, like that helped me move through that situation. And I don't mean that, you know, it's not over, like the relationship continues. I'm lucky in that we have a very amicable, friendly, child-centered relationship. There's lots of pieces that go into that as well, that I think the two of us were always good as partners, but we were lacking in passion. We're both very passionate people who are passionate in our professions. <laughs> we seem to lack that kind of visceral passion for each other. So living the length and the width, you know, I, I, I was also lucky in a lot of ways is that he was the kind of person that allowed me to be mad at him. Really? And why is that good? I think it was good because it facilitated for me that idea of not stuffing my anger and not stuffing my grief and my sadness. I was clear with myself that if I felt like crying, I was going to cry. If I felt like being mad, I was going to be mad. If I felt like being happy, I was, it was okay that I was going to be happy too. And to me, that's that the, the visual idea of the length and the width, you know, it's like stretching your arms out as far as you can out to the sides and stretching your arms out as far as you can reach up high too. It's like, how can you feel all that space around you when you're really sad and when you're really happy? And it's weird when I think about it because it was very clear from the beginning. And I, and I, I don't know how that happens. What was clear? What was clear was that that was how I wanted to have that experience. You're not happy about it, but you have this immediate reaction that is, I'm going to live the length and the width of this. Yes. Like if this is going to happen, then I am going to be super intentional about how I go forward in this experience. Even if it's really hard and even, you know, I'm going to be open to that. It's going to be really hard. I'm going to be open to that. It's, you know, I'm going to be angry. And, and there's still times now when I'm sad and when I'm angry, you know, about it or different things come up or whatever, especially as it relates to my kids and what their experience is in life and, and those kind of things. Do you think that it had anything to do with your son and how you went through that? Because you mentioned the same, the word grief. Do you think that that impacted how you approach this? Yes. Yes. I think so. That's what I think, like kind of all of those life experiences colliding together. I was raised Catholic and went to Catholic school and I'm not practicing anymore, but those values, those sorts of things definitely, I think, inform a lot of my core belief system. So I feel like 
you know, just as I went through my life and I have a mom that is very compassionate, very loving, very much a word person, um, and was always talking about attitude and always talking about how you get to choose what your attitude is. And I mean, I, I talk about that all the time in the classes that I teach and even related to scrapbooking and how you're going to approach photography and whatever, you know, that how your attitude can inform so many of those things. And I'm not saying that any of this is easy either. Like, oh my God, it was, this was the easiest experience. <laughs> That's not true either. But it was really important to me to live the fullness of that experience. Well, it's really wonderful that he allowed you to because otherwise that grief would have to go, like you said, stuffing it. For many years in my own life, I used eating to control something because I couldn't control other things in my life. So it would have just been redirected somewhere really unhealthy, potentially, had you not had that ability to live through the emotion of it and let that heal. Yeah, I agree that I'm probably like you in that I I would find something. And I and I think if I'm being completely honest with myself, I definitely can find ways to do that now. And for me, most likely it would be work. Come into my office and, you know, it is the place where I feel most comfortable when I sit down in my chair at my computer and I'm doing, you know, something that I have significant control over. But there's positives and negatives as well. Yeah, too much energy channeled in that direction starves the rest of your life. Absolutely. What would you recommend for anyone else who might be going through something really surprising and grief creating? Maybe it's a death, maybe it's a child's diagnosis that came out of nowhere or a divorce. What would you tell them from what you've learned? Mm, that's such a good question. I think that the most important thing for me is is partly that idea of how can you how can you move through this experience without stuffing? Because I think that that it's such a good word for it, stuffing. Yeah, because it is stuffing, you know, and and just like you said, it manifests itself in lots of different ways. You know, like, are you stuffing via food? Are you stuffing via work? Your closet (laughs) shopping? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shopping. Totally. So if you can find outlets that can help you make it through that. Another thing for me that I think was really helpful and was also something that I recognized and took action on was that I really needed to have some local friends. I have lots of friends on the internet, which sounds weird, but you know, I mean, like the job that I've done has included the internet for a long time. And so I have really strong relationships with lots of people all over the place, but it's not the same as having a friend that you can call on the phone or in my case, like my Katie, who is my nanny and then is now my assistant and is one of my best friends. If she wouldn't have been here, it would have been a completely different experience. So having somebody to talk to, to help me, it's kind of like the the village concept too, you know, of, that there's someone else that you can reach out to, probably more than one person, for help with childcare or somebody that could, you know, take your kids for a couple hours so that you can go and cry in your pillow for two hours because you need to get that out. Yeah, that's a whole nother story when you have children you have to take care of, but you're also going through something that's so hard on you personally. Yeah, very much so. And it's such a hard thing. And and, and what I want to express about that, too, is it is not easy for me to reach out to people to ask for help. In making myself do that, even in just like inviting people over to the house and, you know, friends I have from college and saying like, okay, enough is enough. Let's get together. And making that happen was a really like healthy positive thing for me to do, even in the middle of that. And I don't think, you know, this is not like the first month sort of thing. It probably took me a little bit longer. Having a support system um, in place that for me, you know, included my parents and then other local friends. And that was something that was a shift for me. Like I did not have that in place previously. Had lots of, you know, surface sorts of friends and whatever, but 
it became clear when I actually needed to ask for help that I did. And, and I think that that was really important too. Was it hard to do those first few calls? Because you, like you said, you didn't have that in place beforehand. Yes. How did you do it? I have a story about that. I can, and he just reminded me of it because I'm sitting in the same chair that I <laughs> would have been sitting in. So it probably would have been one of the first weekends when my, or maybe not one of the first, but one of the weekends when my kids were gone. And for me, that was definitely the hardest part was having this new reality of that my kids are not with me all the time. Initially, that is super, super hard. And then after a while, it became, it's okay. You know, it's it's an opportunity for me to do other things and to have a different life than I would have before. But I was sitting here and it was like a Saturday night and Friday night, Saturday night, working at my desk, doing my thing. And a friend of mine sent me a text message and said, you know, we're over at so-and-so's house. You should come over. And it was in that minute, that was not a normal thing. And I think I had had some conversations with her. Like she was the one that I had asked for an attorney recommendation. And, but it was someone that I didn't have a close relationship, but that was, was friendly with. And I knew that she would have a recommendation for me. And then she took the initiative and sent that text message to me and said, you know, you should come over. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to go, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Wait, why not? What was going on in your head saying no? I'm in my pajama, you know, I'm in my pajamas or just that I was going to have to expend energy. There was going to be energy spent on going and talking to people. And I would see people that I hadn't seen for a while or whatever. A little bit of fear, I think, of having to tell that story then of like what was happening and blah, blah, blah. And, but I did. I got up and I put my clothes on and I went over there. And, you know, actually, you asked me that. I haven't thought about that for a long time, but that definitely signaled a starting point for me for taking action and kind of taking responsibility for what this next phase of my own personal life was going to be like. I love that. I actually was just listening to something by Elizabeth Gilbert, and she talked about the same thing about personal responsibility for our own joy and happiness. Totally. We, we cre can create our own heaven and hell. I, I love that quote. What was the thought inside of you as your ego is railing at you saying all the reasons you're too tired, you have to t explain it, blah, blah, blah. What's the thought that overrode all of that and got you out the door? I think that I really knew that I had to save myself. Like it was a self-preservation sort of thing. Like it was not going to be a healthy, positive thing for me to sit here. I needed to take action. And I'm somebody that takes action in lots of areas. I'm generally not a person that hems and haws or takes a long time to make a decision. Like I am a decisive type A, ready, go. So it was a little bit of like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I need to live the length and the width. I mean, really, that can you can bring it back to that again of that living the length and the width involves getting up out of your chair and going to these people who want to see you and want the best for you and want to have a relationship with me Not that's not via text messages. The word surrender came to mind as you were talking about it. I'm not sure if that actually applies or resonates with you, but it kind of feels like there is a piece of surrender there. Well, and I think that would be like surrendering to the possibility of this new life. That is true. Be different than it was before and that, that, that it was going to be okay. Like I didn't, I didn't have dread. I don't think I felt dread. I'm someone that throws up when I get nervous like that. Part of my <laughs> really wait when's the last time you threw up out of nerves 
Um, before we flew, my boyfriend and Katie, my assistant, and her husband and one of our other friends woke me up at four in the morning a couple months ago and told me we were going to San Francisco for the day or we were going on a surprise airplane trip for the day, um, which is something that I've done for my kids. Like, you know, oh, wake up at four in the morning. We're going to go on an airplane Aww. sort of thing. And they did that. And there's some anxiety issues related to that nervousness. And so we got to the airport and then I realized that I didn't have the Xanax that I actually kind of needed to get on the airplane. And we drove, Aaron and I, my boyfriend, I actually ended up driving back to my house, getting that, going back. But then I threw up at the airport. Oh, gosh. To me, it's just like dealing with all the, it was a lack of control. I didn't know what was happening. At that point, I didn't know where we were going. I was excited. You know, it's a combination of like happy excitement, but also what's happening, where are we going, blah, 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 da, da, da. You know, I'm not in charge. So those are still issues that I continue to deal with. But yeah. So going back to the time where you said, you know, I'm someone who throws up. Yeah, so yeah, this yeah. was surrendering to the new life. I think that's so beautiful. Really, that's what your gut was leading you to. Your intuition was saying, you know, you need to move forward out of this and surrendering to the fact that your life isn't going to be the way it was and that you can't just make excuses and stay stuck. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I didn't want to be lonely. I could grasp the potential of something different for myself. And whether that was just a tiny little inkling of knowing I had to start somewhere, right? I had to start at some point in time. I think that's a great thing to share for anyone that's going through something like this too, then is about surrendering the previous expected life you were going to have and accepting. What would you share about that? That's a huge, I mean, I, I think that, that that's huge. And I I was already skilled at that from the experience with my son too, because that was very much a a surrendering of what you envision for yourself as a normal, you know, having a quote unquote normal childhood experience, you know, or having a kid that was going to do sports or having a kid that was going to excel academically or all those things that were kind of a part of my life experience, as well as Chris, my husband at the time, both of us were like type A overachiever kind of kids and here we have a kid that's going to have a completely different life experience and kind of coming to terms with with that and really recognizing like how amazing it can be even when it's something that you don't expect or wish for or anticipate. It's pretty crazy because he also taught you guys yourselves how to live an unexpected life later on. <laughs> yes, So something else you shared to move a little bit, shift a little one degree over. So on your blog, you shared a lot about getting real. What does that mean to you? And how does that connect to living with intention? Because you actually had those exact words in the post and I loved it. So I wanted to chat a little bit. What is getting real to you? Getting real to me, I think probably in in the context of what of what you're reading there. So for me as a person that scrapbooks, there's a lot of people that scrapbook and they're like the entire worldview of scrapbooking is birthdays, Christmas, wedding, baby, you know, event-based scrapbooking. And what I have learned from the time that I started until now, which is, you know, 12 years worth of thinking about and actively scrapbooking is that for me, like telling the real stories, which is what I include in my scrapbooks, you know, the things that are hard, the things that, you know, that we don't anticipate. I mean, I just, I'm much more interested in documenting that kind of stuff because that's how I celebrate what's beautiful. Did you document the divorce? 
So I have not documented it in like, here's my scrapbook page about getting divorced. (laughs) Okay, like imagining what you say to document that stuff. I'm wondering what that includes. Yeah, no. So for me, the writing pieces is is probably, you know, where I'm actually getting the most personal benefit, you know, writing out the story of what has happened and those sorts of things. So with the divorce, that's kind of related to figuring out how do I tell how do I tell that story? So in my case, I have an audience of people who have been following my story or participated in my story or, you know, however you want to look at it since I started. So for me, when this divorce happened, part of what I had to confront was how was I going to tell this story or how was I going to talk about this? This is something that all the listeners here that are bloggers can relate to is when their lives shift, yeah. and especially when it's not a wedding or baby or any of the things you said people normally scrapbook about. What do you do? So what did you do? Very much. So what I did, again, very intentional and very, I use the term crafted. I mean, most of what I do for my blog and those sorts of things, even when I'm writing very personal things is still very crafted. It's not a confessional diary. And my scrapbooks aren't that way either. Most of what I end up writing or the angle that I take when I'm writing my stories is what is the lesson learned? What have I learned through this experience? So I don't necessarily document right when I'm living through this really hard, hard experience. But for me, it's much more likely that I'm going to go back and write something about it that would then be maybe a message to my kids or a letter or some sort of of list or something. But what I, I mean, what I ended up doing In my cases, I had one blog post that was very specific that said, this is, you know, this is what's happening. Actually, I'd have to go look at it. I mean, it was very intentional. This is what's happening. I feel like that as this is the place where I share all of my, you know, a lot of my stories in my life, that this is a piece that needs to be included here. I am not going to talk about this all the time. This is not going to become, like I said, you know, like a confessional sort of put anybody down. And I put out that I expected the same from my readers. I expected that they were not going to, because I wanted, the one thing that, that I wanted to be clear in the story was that this was not my choice. And so I actually, when I, when I wrote this post out, I had Chris read it and make sure that he was okay with what I was saying, you know, with what I was writing about. And it wasn't very long, but it was enough to communicate what was happening and that my expectation for the readers was that they weren't going to be like, oh, he's a, you know, whatever expletive you want to put in. Because that was not what I was intending our relationship to be like going forward. And I, and people responded to that really well. And I think it, it gave me an out in a way of like, I don't have to talk about this all the time. This doesn't have to become your story. Yes, this is it is a piece of the story. Then, you know, going forward, the types of things that I write on my blog, which would be things like an around here post where I'm documenting kind of what everybody's going through in our lives, right? You know, Simon's doing this and my daughter's doing this. And, you know, I'm struggling with this and this and this. And that may include I'm struggling communicating with Chris. And I mean, I would say something like that. It wouldn't be the story of like, this is what's happening. This is where he's being a jerk. This is what you know, <laughs> yeah, this is the fight. Yeah. Getting real for me, I think, is coming back to that, is getting to that place where I can tell these stories in a respectful, educated, I kind of, I want to say educated, but I mean, educated more in like, what are the lessons I've learned? It's your mess becomes your message. It becomes my message. Totally. You know, and how can I communicate that in a way that's respectful and is in alignment with the way that I want to live? 
And is that how you scrapbook those same events? Yeah, very much so. So if you would go on on my site and you're looking at examples of scrapbook layouts, there would be ones that would be like a topic like around here. And it would include the things that are challenging because to me, it's a, a significantly richer story if we are including the things that are hard and the challenges as well as the things that are positive. Because a lot of times I'm actually celebrating the things that are hard because I know that there's going to be some kind of positive lesson coming out of it. And, and, and sometimes I just you know, include that I'm feeling sad right now. In this scrapbook? Yeah, oh, sure. Totally. This is not all happy birthday. Yay. So that's really kind of become my mission. And we just actually had a whole overhaul on my website and, and really kind of honing in on the concept of stories and storytelling within scrapbooking so that it's not just about, I got to go to Michael's and I got to buy $500 worth of product that I want to put stickers all over these pictures. It's like, how can I use this as an opportunity to reflect, to assess, to move forward, to share with my family so that my family knows that I'm a real person too. It's just that there's a lot more to it than I can explain to somebody sitting next to them on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So does getting real expand beyond the blog world or scrapbooking for you? Um, in what way are you thinking? I think you were just saying you have to getting real with what needs to be changed in your life or if you're distracted, getting real about it. Yeah, I think if you were to talk to people that are like within my audience, that they one of the characteristics that they would talk about was that I think I am, well, I hope, I mean, what I want to put out there is, is a real person. I have no intention of wanting anybody to think that I am anywhere close to being any kind of perfection. And, and part of that is because that's not real. Yeah. In your own life, are you ever using that phrase to kind of help yourself look at areas? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I am by nature a very reflective, very (laughs) (laughs) self-assessing kind of person that is always kind of looking for how can I do better in this area? What can I, and not even how can I do better, but what is real? Am I being too black and white? What would be a gray, you know, like it's a huge piece of, of how I live all the time. Yeah, it's it's a little mental, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So one of the things you mentioned in your site as well is how much you love reading nonfiction books. So what nonfiction books have changed your life? I think it's such a great question. And I feel like I've read so many books that I can't can't even pinpoint. Was there one that was a turning point for you? Because I totally have a few of those. I think for me, my experience has been is that they come at the right time. And some of them I go looking for them. And and I actually pulled up Goodreads just so I could even get like a visual because I'm so visual. I need to see like what books have I actually read. One of them that I think that was really helpful for me during the divorce process is a book called Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow. And that's by Elizabeth Lesser. That is a book that I feel like I savored during that time. And it, and it wasn't one that I like read beginning to end, but I kind of slowly read it and would come across things each time I picked it up that were definitely things I think that, that helped me in terms of kind of framing how I wanted to move forward. So that, at least in that time period, was really important. I'm a definitely a Brene Brown fan. So The Gifts of Imperfection. I don't know if you've that one. I love her books. Yeah. yeah. So she actually, I met her um, 2006, I think, on, on a just a, That's a, crazy. a retreat. Yeah. So I've known her for, so she's a personal friend and I've known her for a while. And she has been, is someone that I go to, like she's a go-to person. But that book, I think in and of itself, even if I didn't know her, I think that that book has so many great 
lessons in it and the whole, you know, the whole idea of embracing imperfection and what does that, what does that actually mean is something that I go back to again. I love Daring Greatly as well, but I'm so glad that I went to Gifts of Imperfection afterwards. I actually got one of my clients sent me Daring Greatly, which was so sweet. Anna Renal, she's probably listening right now. She sent me that one as a gift. And so obviously I was like, no brainer to read it immediately. And then I'm so glad I went back to Gifts of Imperfection because I think that was one that I personally really needed to hear in a lot of ways, even more than Daring Greatly. Yeah, I think that's what I feel like about it too. And she's actually working on another book now. Really? Tell us. It's even, yeah, it's more uh, memoir. Her story of kind of, of her breakdown and and how bringing all of those pieces together in and that she actually li- I mean she lives that stuff like she doesn't just write about it and doesn't just talk about it and you know do all these amazing other things I mean she is a person that is in practice it's it's awesome to be able to have been with her in personal experiences where I've seen that she's such a great role model for messing up and getting up and trying again and and you know what is your intention and which direction are you trying to go and how do you get back on that track and she's scrappy I love it she doesn't make it sound easy or effortless she's like no you you gotta do it (laughs) I think that's a huge message for people too is that this isn't just the lives that we lead are informed by the choices that we make and those choices can get better via practice I'm practicing stuff all the time yeah absolutely any other books I know there are so many more that's just even looking on the thing. I'm like, okay, I can't even think. What about you? I want to hear, do you have one or two? Yeah, thank you for asking. So the biggest seminal book, I had a similar Brene Brown breakdown, but it was, (laughs) that rhymes. It was in my college years though. So it was 22. I was in therapy about things that happened in my childhood, which because they involve other people, I don't talk about, but I was in that place and I was in a really intense business school environment that was not well-suited for my own business that I had. It was not training me to be an entrepreneur. It was training me to be an iBanker. I was very unhappy and very confused, but it allowed me to look at a lot of important things that people often don't get to look at until they're older. I just had to do it all that year. So while I was there, I kind of felt like the whole, my set of belief systems or like the house of cards that had formed my set of like, this is the way the world is. And this is what I believe, which was often filtered through my upbringing and my experiences growing up. All of that was burned down to the ground. And I was like, I don't have a foundation. I need one. And I actually picked up, and this was actually the teen copy, but it was the seven habits of highly effective people that book became my foundation. It was the rock that I needed to help rebuild from the ground up. And it's incredible. My life has been a living study of that book for the last eight years. But I'm always bad. Well, not bad, but I'll just say it's so deep. But I mean, you truly could spend your whole life just focusing on like the first three habits. So I sometimes have to tear myself out of those and start focusing on the other four afterwards as well. But that book definitely was huge. And then I love The Alchemist. I think that's a great one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's great. Have you read The Seven Habits? I know I have it, and I feel like I must have read it at one point in time or another. It must not have had that same sort of impact. But when I hear someone talk so passionately about it like you, like I'm like, there's no way I can't go and get it, pull it out and make sure I look at it closer. It's the right time. You know what I mean? That broken open you mentioned. It was literally, I was at a blank slate and I needed to have something to have a compass. And that was my compass. And I do believe it can be that for other people. But if you're not in that really receptive, really vulnerable place, some things like that. I had read it in high school. That's why I had the teen copy. My mom gave it to me. I was like, oh, this is nice. And it's true. I'm not doubting it, but I didn't need it. And at that point, I needed it. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I I am a 
an old school book reader. Like I don't read on, I don't do digital reading. And so I have piles. <laughs> <laughs> I have files next to my bed. I have piles on the other side of the bed. I have them in the shelf. Ones that I've picked up and, you know, I've, I've read some, or I've read the whole thing, or I've read them multiple times. Like there's food. It's food for sure. Two last questions. So what doubts or internal resistance have you had to face in your life? The biggest challenge for me in the last year or so has been business related, which is still very personal because my business is personal, <laughs> you know, and it is me and it's my brand. And and I had to make a decision at a, at a point in time to partner with someone else who is going to help me consolidate, but help me grow at the same time. That has been awesome and super challenging at the same time. So super challenging for me in, in a letting go sort of way, you know, letting go of certain things or certain ways that I would do everything myself. Again, it's kind of the asking for help thing of like, okay, I actually need some help in these areas. And it's surrendering to how it's going to be different. Absolutely. There we go. So, you know, and, and it's another one of those things that I feel like that was the direction that I needed to go. So I'm still kind of working through that from the purely emotional standpoint of how do you move forward in this arena, in, in this new setup? And, and just, you know, it's a transition. So getting used to the transition of new people and new conversations and new ways of doing things. And it's not the same as I want to do it, blah, 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 you know, those sorts of things. But for me, it's my business is very, like I said, very personal and it's me sitting here doing it, you know, supporting my family kind of thing. So that's been my biggest personal emotional thing. How do you overcome it? Do you have like a mantra or do you have a word? Because I know you love words. I do love words. So I do a project called One Little Word. And so each year for the, since like 2006, I've picked a word and focused on that. And my word this year was actually thrive. And the people that take, so I have run a workshop that's about that too. And so the people that have taken that workshop have heard me talk about how I actually don't even like that word. <laughs> Wait, did you like it when you started? Or are you sick of it now? It's not even that I'm sick of it. Like, I don't like how it sounds. I don't like, <laughs> this is so weird. Wait, the sound of it or the connotation? No, not even the connotation. Like, I like the concept of thriving. And like, the conclusion that I've come to this year is that I did something to myself is that I recommend people not do, which is have some some belief that everything in your life is going to change because you pick this word. I have had the experience where I've moved forward and I've grown in ways because I've had these words and, you know, through reflection and through writing and, and through making choices. But this word, for some reason, in the beginning of the year, I, I privately decided that by the end of the year, I was going to be the happiest I've ever been in my whole life, <laughs> which is kind of out of bounds for me in terms of that. And so I shared that with, with the group in the class. And I think, you know, it resonated with a lot of people. And I'm like, I don't even like this word. Like I got to pick a different word. But for me, it's more of like, okay, well, why, why don't I like the word? What were the barriers to me for me, you know, getting to a different place? What are the, the areas that I really need to recognize that I actually did or I am thriving, even if it's still hard and not simple and easy and uncomplicated. So there's lots of lessons in that. So thinking of that in terms of with the business and, and changing things. I mean, there's definitely areas of that that are thriving and that I feel like they're coming together in the ways that I had hoped they would, having a tighter brand and some things like that. But personally, I'm still, you know, on the journey and the way that I wish that I f would feel, which is like super light. And, and I don't mean like physically, like losing a lot of weight. I just mean mentally, you know, the emotional lightness of being, I think is what I'm longing for. And 
there's just a lot of complications. You're probably using the word thrive to symbolize all the things and simplifying to none at the same time. It's probably that in and out. So it's kind of becomes this heavy word that leads you nowhere. Yeah, it just and and like I said, the fact that I don't even like saying it is really a good <laughs> indication <laughs> that yeah, it's not your cozy sweater anymore. No, it's no. And it was never cozy, though. I th- And I think for me, that was one of the things about it was it was tr- a word that that I knew in the beginning was a little uncomfortable that felt like it feels like it's a harsh word to me, like it has hard edges when I say it out loud, like for some reason, the the visual I have is some sort of like a box, you know, like, I'm sure we could completely like psychologically (laughs) evaluate why that is. But anyway, it's worth it to me. I mean, there have been pieces of the journey this year that have been amazing and awesome and that I am definitely thriving. And then there are other areas, which is the same as every year where I'm struggling in one way or another. So amen. That's how life goes, right? Amen. All right. So what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? On the journey of life? (laughs) You've shared a lot of lessons here, so we've covered a lot, but what would you tell someone who's, who needs to hear from you? What I would say at this day and time would again relate to the possibility of living in the gray, you know, and that we are possible of being accepting of what is coming next and that you don't know what that, you know, even when you don't know what it is, like the letting go of the control to be able to accept the possibility that something even more amazing is going to happen in your life. And I think that there's a lot of jumbling up for me because there's there's so many overlapping themes that come together that I believe that we can choose to walk down the path that's going to get us closer to whatever that is, whatever that gray area is in a really positive way. I actually considered having the word gray as my word this year. Yeah, that sounds like a great word. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, what's the visual? You know, like it would be a, a big turn, you know, like it's, it's, it's choosing a word that you would be turning around because it's not like, I don't want dreary depressing. It has a whole other meaning for it. So who knows? It's kind of like the word optimal. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard word. That, that word feels hard to me too. Yeah. It may have a whole construct around it, but optimal I think is nice compared to perfect or excellence because it has this realization and this counterbalance because I feel like a lot of times when you're doing value-based intentions, there's like a hidden one. The one word can't, carry the whole team. So there's like a hidden value that's not getting acted upon. And sometimes if you just pick one, it could be all one way and it doesn't have that balance to make room for the other side of the coin. Yeah. And that's actually one of the exercises that we do is kind of what are the, what are the partner words or what are the parallel words that are going along with us for you? Because I'm totally, yeah, I'm on the same page, even if I forget. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much with us, Allie. We loved it. Yes, thanks for having me. And there you have it. Thank you, Allie, so much for coming on the show and being so open and awesome with us today. If you'd like to send Allie a message, please hop over to Twitter. Her handle is Allie Edwards, A-L-I Edwards. And if you're new to the show and this is your first time listening to The Lively Show, please feel free to go through the archives. There's so many awesome episodes that touch on similar concepts to this. We talk about all sorts of things. I really can't even say. We talk about possessions, personal habits, relationships, career, you name it. Head on over to thelivelyshow.com if you'd like to see all the archives. 
And as always, if you're a big fan of the show, thank you so much for leaving a review on iTunes. We're almost at 200 star reviews, which is huge. And those podcast reviews you guys leave, I check every single day. It makes my day. I just checked today, in fact, and I I love it, guys. Thank you so much for sharing and helping me show other guests and potential people to have on the show how much you guys really love this. May something wonderful happen to you today. 